Welcome everybody, Data and Driven. My name is Adam Luckrav. Joining me today, and as always, Nick Halen. Nick, what's up, man? Hanging out, you know? It's December now. It's no snow yet. I'm waiting for it. Gotta put some lights up. It's coming, man. We got a pond in the backyard here, and there's a thin layer of ice on it. And eight worthy. Well, it's it's getting there, and we're new to the neighborhood, but we've been told that there is somewhat of a friendly competition around the pond of who can assemble the best hockey rink with lights and all that sort of stuff. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to take part in that competition, but I will be out there to, you know, test out the ice and do some skating, maybe some boot hockey and Mm -hmm. enjoy myself and maybe put my daughter on skates for the first time. So very cool. Yeah, fun winter times in Minnesota. Absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And you better if you're living in a state, right? So, <laughs> well, you better or you better, I don't know. My wife does not like the winter, but the schools are good. The economy is good, good business community, good people. So we live here. I agree. Kind of our birthright. Indeed. This is Nick. This is the season finale of the podcast. What do you think about that? uh i'm wondering if we should have a cliffhanger for next season <laughs> nick if i do, right <laughs> nick if i said who shot jr does that mean anything to you that's from the is that from dallas it is all right <laughs> all right i got it i didn't watch it but i know where it's from <laughs> <laughs> we are of different generations i think uh i'm pretty sure who shot jr is probably the most famous season finale because in dallas jr was shot mm-hmm. and they cliffhanged you over the summer i was thinking about some of the best season finales and uh, i know breaking bad had some really good ones sopranos sure. had a few good ones do you, i don't know i lost had some amazing ones yes i know their series finale on lost i we could we could have our own podcast on that but i was a little disappointed but some of their uh, uh, season finales were amazing and their season premieres I, those were that was appointment television back in the day now you're talking I, my my wife ellie is a, is a losty uh so she she has the encyclopedia it's probably watched end to end five six times probably um, you know it's funny lost like i wonder what you, like that was one of the first podcasts i got into lost had the lot what was it called the lost cast and it was basically just three fans who did this who recapped every episode and went deep on all the theories nice and i listened that was one of the first podcasts that i listened to absolutely religiously yeah that was, it was a good show i liked it you know and it, you know some may say it uh jumped the shark a little bit and that reminds me of a good cliffhanger with fonzie jumping wait the shark. was and that a cliffhanger happened. or was it was it just an episode where he jumped a shark no, it was definitely, it was like a freeze frame. He was up in the air about, and then yeah, that's where happy days. <laughs> that's right. Crazy. And that's where that term comes from, I believe, right? Where it jumps the shirt. You are absolutely right. You are absolutely right. Well, coming up on the, on the podcast, this episode, we've got an interview with Toby Dayton. Toby is the CEO of LinkUp. LinkUp is an index of verified up-to-date job listings sourced directly from employer websites, which gives which gives LinkUp a really powerful data set that can deliver insights into the global job market. I have a personal connection to LinkUp because I used to work there. 
and was part of the team that launched LinkUp as a product inside of another company. And then it spun out. There's, there's a lot of twists and turns with that company, but what it, what it did at the beginning was what it was a job search engine. So instead of, you know, back then career builder monster, those were big job boards. Mm -hmm. And this site, what we did was we went out and we scraped the career section of corporate websites. So target.com, you go on target.com, you can navigate to their career section and all the jobs that they have open are going to be on there. Go to walmart.com career section, go to general mills, go to, you name the, the company, go to, you know, smaller companies and they'll have a career section link up would go out and index those jobs. So every job that would be open for target would go to their job site. They might post that out to career builder or monster or other sites. They might not, but they would go to the, to their career section. So we would scrape that. We pulled it together into a job search engine. And back then we were selling kind of the Google style paid search, right? So, Hey, uh, Apple or whoever the company, you know, pay us and we'll promote your jobs in the top of the feed and highlight it. You pay per click. So it was kind of unique. They've evolved since then. And we'll get into the story from Toby, but you know, one of the things that, that happened with indexing all those company websites, it was really pure, a really pure data set of what's happening. And so Nick, as you know, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, I think the first Friday of every month comes out with the jobs report. That is that jobs report will move markets. And so LinkUp is a potentially even more for or a more leading indicator of what that jobs report might be. Because if, right. if a certain industry or a certain region or, or the country as a whole, we're seeing a bunch of jobs being posted to company websites, well, we can assume that, you know, that's the leading indicator of jobs being added because first they got to advertise and then they got a interview and then they got to hire. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Eight week bag, at least you would think, you know, at, at its best probably. Yeah. So it's, it was, it was a cool, uh, fun thing to work on for me. And I have a, an affinity for Toby. He's a really, really smart guy. And so I'm excited for that interview um, to, to get into some kind of jobs data and data in, in general, because employment data, generally speaking, is, is really sought after. Yeah. Again, it, it moves markets. Nick, have you ever done anything with jobs data or employment data or anything related to that space? Yeah, I mean, when you're when you mentioned uh, you know Toby and the company, it kind of reminded me of a, a past project I did with with Altrix. Um, it's actually a, a competition when Altrix released their Python SDK back in 2018, if you remember that year. Um, and that was uh, there was a fun competition about embedding Python code into a code to make it a code-free tool that anyone could use. So that was actually how I really started leading into the community of Altrix because I wanted to turn a Glassdoor Python script that I have that I developed and push that into a Python tool so that anyone could just enter in, you know, uh, tessellation and then all the, all the reviews of tessellation that's stored in Glassdoor could be compiled into a data set. You know, what's the positive score, negative score of the CEO? What's, what's the general, uh, compens you know, compensation, uh, you know, scores of the certain position and that type of thing. And one thing that I thought would be interesting to do is aggregate it and bring down the fortune 500 companies. So that was like the starter data set that I had. 
So I pushed all Fortune 500 companies through the scraper um, and then pulled all that data down. And then you can start to look at trends about industry, you know, in terms of people's happiness or overall ranking of, you know, their, you know, of let's say the financial services industry, you can see trends in that, or you can see by specific company or specific company roles and departments, um, you know, what, you know, where that stuff was going. And historically, you can't really see like that kind of data set or that kind of insight in Glassdoor, at least at the time. I don't think you can still do it today. So to pull all that stuff together and then make like a custom data product was really interesting. And I, I had a lot of fun with that. That's how I met a good friend, Tom Larson too, uh, partnering up on that project together. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting stuff. That's for sure. And I'm, I'm an econ guy too. My background in econ major and, you know, looking at labor statistics and all that stuff is always very interesting. Well, then, Nick, this episode is for you, man. So you should stick around, as should you, dear listener. You sitting there right now on your walk with your dog or, I don't know, killing time on a, on a train somewhere listening to this podcast. We, we want to thank you for everyone listening to this first season. I've always thought kind of seasons and podcasts were kind of weird, but here I am doing it. Uh, but we do want to thank you all. I uh, want to thank our sponsors, Tessellation and Data Coach. A reminder, Podcast 20 to get 20% off on datacoach.com. And Nick, um, you know, what will next season have in store for us? Well, stay tuned and find out, everybody. So think, uh, I want to thank you, Nick. It's been, uh, it's been a fun first season. And uh, stick around for this interview, man. You're going to love it. Will do. Likewise, it's been a pleasure and looking forward to next season where we'll talk about different tools that we've even mentioned in this season. As a oh, team. there it is, people. There it is, your cliffhanger. Hey, everybody, a quick word from our sponsor before we get to the interview. Data Coach is really thrilled to announce their new course offering Tableau Desktop Date Specialist. In just four hours, you will be more confident working with the date fields, date formula, and date filters in Tableau. All learnings apply to desktop, server, and online versions of Tableau. Start upskilling in Tableau today using the link in the show notes. For 20% off any course on Data Coach, use code PODCAST20. Thanks again to Data Coach for sponsoring today's episode. Now on with the show. Well, welcome to the show, Toby Dayton. Thank you for joining us today. How are you doing? Excellent. Uh, happy to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, well, Toby is president and CEO of LinkUp. And, you know, Toby, you and I have known each other for a long time. I worked for you for many years. I guess the first question is hiring me, great decision or greatest decision? <laughs> great decision. Okay, great. Okay, I'll take it. And you know what? It's kind of, it feels full circle because you were the first person to ever, I think, recommend a podcast to me. So I think I discovered podcasts because of you. Do you know what podcast you recommended? Oh God, that's digging pretty deep into the, uh, in, into the memory file. On I, how, guarantee, I guarantee you're still listening to it. What year that was and what, it, uh, uh, political gab fest, maybe. Boom. That's it. That is it. So that may full, be my longest circle. Uh, listening uh, podcast, longest running podca podcast on my list. Yeah, likewise. 
Okay, Toby. So, you know, you and I work together. I admire and respect you a lot. I know a bit about the story, uh, kind of where you got to today, where you're running a company that's providing a, a great data set into the global job market. Um, I guess do our listeners a favor and just describe LinkUp in your words. What is it? What does it do for the market? So uh, we are LinkUp is an employment focused data company. And we've actually got two parts of our business. And uh, I, I can come back to sort of the, the evolution of the business over time. But today, uh, we are in both the data business and the recruitment advertising business. So uh, two, two different revenue streams, two different sides of our business. So the commonality between them is that we are indexing uh, jobs directly from company websites globally. So every day we go out to uh, right now, about 60,000 company websites, and we're indexing or scraping jobs directly from those company websites every day. And uh, it equates to about a, a database of about six, seven million job openings every month. Uh, we're, we're, we are scraping jobs globally. Uh, we're US-centric, but it's a database of, of job openings directly from company websites. And then we use that in a bunch of different ways. We power uh, a job site called Get Work uh, that helps employers and candidates um, uh, find each other, and so it's a it's a uh, job search engine. Um, uh, working, we work with employers across the entire economy, typically large, very large employers, uh, pay per click revenue model, and and uh, deliver very high quality candidate flow to those employer advertisers on the Get Work side of the business. On the LinkUp data side of the business, we have turned all of the labor market data, the demand side of the labor market, the job market, into a range of data products and solutions for clients, uh, corporate clients, clients in and around human capital management, and then uh, capital markets. So investors, hedge funds, asset managers who are using that data to get insights into what's going on at an individual company level and by industry, by geography, or even up to a macro level by country. So we've got a, a data subscription revenue model on that side of the business. So that's kind of quick overview of, of the LinkUp business. Um, yeah, so it's interesting. I, like I said, I know part of your story and would, would it be to uh, would it be appropriate to say that you found yourself in the data business? A little bit. Uh, that, that's not inaccurate. So definitely there was. So so to back up. So we've been uh, we we've been in and around the the human capital management space for for twenty plus years, and and obviously you and I go way back, and so you 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 know the origins of the business. Our legacy business model was focused on multimedia recruitment advertising, so we were working with uh, local employers, typically in secondary and tertiary markets around the U.S., giving them a better alternative than back back then twenty years ago. It was literally competing against daily newspapers, weekly publications and the earliest days of, of the monsters and career builders of the world. So we packaged together print, web, radio, and TV to offer a really good uh, value proposition for local companies to find uh, very qualified candidates. So that was, that was the original business model. And we, the, the, the competitive differentiator for us was always to focus on quality. We, our vision was to build the best job site for both job seekers and employers 
uh, in, in the market. And so quality was always the metric that we really put at the forefront for, for both job seekers and employers. And when we started to see that companies were posting jobs directly on their company websites back in 2003, 2004, that was really the origin of uh, the link up business model. We saw those and said, that is absolutely the future of where the, the talent acquisition recruitment advertising business is going. It's also the best source of jobs for job seekers. So we started building up this database of jobs directly from company websites. It's updated every day. There's no job board pollution, no duplicates, no expired listings. And over time, that became a national database of job openings uh, with some history, but also with uh, great you know, real-time information about what's going on in the job market. So in 2009, 2010, right in the teeth of the you know, sort of great recession, uh, which we were obviously incredibly impacted by when unemployment, you know, real unemployment shot up to about 20, 25%. Uh, we we basically took this link up business out of the R and D closet and and started uh, generating revenue on it mostly in sort of crisis mode, <clears throat> in survival mode, and the business model that it was then and continues to be today, pay per click recruitment advertising. But we also realized that we had this great database of job openings and we the actual the first revenue streams for link up were data was data, um, a data revenue model, we were approached by some partners and, and, and future clients and said, we love your job openings. Can you give us a feed of that data? And so early on for about the first five years, it was mostly job sites and other, uh, other companies in and around the, the job market space, the human capital management space that wanted those data feeds from us. So we we knew we had the highest quality, uh, very high quality data set, but it was, you're, you're, you're right that we sort of, we didn't know back in 2003, 2004, 2005, that that was gonna be the, the primary growth vehicle for the business. Interestingly, we actually were using the link up data in our legacy business model for some of the use cases that our future clients were at, we're going to end up using the data for too. So when we rolled out a new market in JobDig is the legacy brand that we were we were building, and uh, when we rolled out a new local market with JobDig, we actually populated the 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 print publication with link up jobs. So it was you know it's semi embarrassed to, to admit that we actually you know our business in in the legacy business model we actually published a print newspaper which uh, probably dates us way, way older than we should be uh, dating <laughs> ourselves but that was that was you know that was uh, you know classifieds it was a print classifieds used to be a print business and so yep. um, we've lived through some just crazy change in in the industry in the last 20 years and it's 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 pretty amazing to think about what the industry looks like today versus uh, where we started 20 20 years ago right and i you know i i say found yourself in the data business because i think that's a i've found myself in it right um i think a lot of our the people that we've interviewed this season have sort of navigated their way there through either luck or actual direction and and 
you mentioned job board pollution. I'll say it for what it is. There, are, there were scammers out there that would post quote unquote jobs to try to do nefarious things with the people who would apply for those jobs. And you, to your credit, would not allow us, the sales team, to, to, to take those orders. And so it, it, it was always interesting to me that your what I thought and I, I still believe was, was kind of your passion of actually serving job seekers and, and of course, serving the employer clients that we relied on for revenue, but serving job seekers kind of led it to, led you and, and your team to link up, to serve up what are all real jobs, an actual company looking to hire an employee in a system that I think you might agree is, is kind of broken in, in, as far as matching job seekers with employers. So I don't know, that's, that's, that was kind of the, I guess, why I asked that question. And I, I don't know, you, and, and you hear about it so much now, people monetizing your data and you, you started monetizing your data um, a while ago before it was fashionable. Right. Yeah, it, it, and 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 you're exactly right, Adam. It, it 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 we did sort of find ourselves there, but you you do sort of have to recognize or have it. it for us, it was just a it was just a natural evolution because of that focus on quality and the data set that we started to build. It became very obvious early on, and it wasn't really this. In you know, we didn't invent it, or we didn't have to. We didn't have to reach too far for it. It was just sort of part of our business was based on this data set that we had been building, and we knew that it was high quality. We knew that it was where the future was going. What we did, where we sort of continue, and we're continuing to find new use cases, new applications, even to this day. And we don't expect that we're going to exhaust that that discovery process around this asset that we're sitting on and, and accumulating every day with these job listings. It is, it's one of the most um, uh, fascinating aspects of, of data is it is, it, it is this replenishing asset that's just renewable every day. And there are, as technology advances, as use, case, use cases evolve, as we bring on new clients, uh, there's just this continuous exploration of, of new use cases around the data. So for us, we started using the data very early on to support that legacy business model. It became very natural for us to then start to turn that around and proactively start selling that to other similar kinds of companies that could use the data in the same way. I think we had to cross some chasms along the way to, to continue to build and grow and develop that business model. And one of those was, for example, selling our data to competitors to that legacy business model. And that, that, the, the, that presents some unique challenges. I think every business you know, so can be presented with those kinds of decisions that they have to make from a strategic level. Are we really, as this new business is emerging, what do we do about the potential either cannibalization of our existing business or actually competing with ourselves in some cases. And we were faced with both of those kinds of decisions. And that, that, wasn't, uh, that wasn't always easy. And so for example, back, uh, back in the day, uh, we were actually powering the job boards, Monster and Career Builder were two of our biggest early clients. And that wasn't an easy decision to go to the job big team and say, hey, by the way, 
this new data business that we're starting up is actually going to create competition for you when we're trying to sell recruitment advertising uh, spend in, in job digs um, universe. We're now actually powering job boards that are competing against that. And that, that was, um, we, we, we were pretty, uh, we had to be pretty thoughtful and deliberate about making that decision. And ultimately it turned out to be the right decision for us. But, but uh, again, it goes back to that sort of natural evolution and uh, the same kind of thing happened uh, very early on. We started to think about the and, and understand the predictive attributes in a data set like ours. So because a job opening is a, is a very clear signal of an intent to create a job, to fill a job, we recognized immediately that our data had very strong predictive attributes to it. And it was correlated. We believed it was going to be correlated to job growth in future periods. So we built a, 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 a forecasting model trying to predict non-farm payrolls on a monthly basis. And uh, that that's what led us into expanding into capital markets and in, in, into uh, asset managers and, and the financial industry, because there were very strong correlations, very strong predictive attributes in the data. And that, uh, as we started to build a track record of accurately forecasting non-farm payrolls, that attracted the attention of, of a lot of firms in and around Wall Street. And that led us down into the path of building products that were going to be specifically used by investors um, who are looking for, uh, in, the, in the industry, is looking for alpha uh, to, to generate investment returns and improve their investment programs. And that has been a huge growth area for the business. And you know, in some ways we, we were, you know, we sort of found that, and it, but it's, it's just this sort of natural evolution over time uh, as you continue to think very strategically and deliberately and creatively about what, what data can do for, for different uh, stakeholders, different clients, different audiences. Yeah. Now you, uh, remembering back to the early days, I, I remember you as a big spreadsheet guy. You always had bunch of spreadsheets open it, it became uh you know somewhat of a running joke inside the company of, of all your different spreadsheets that you had so did you have like growing up in school and and even you know uh grade school and in college did you have an interest in math and finance that 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 kind of led you to this you think uh yes and no it, it is um so I always, I did love math. I was always very, I, I had a very um, um, strong interest both in math and, and in English. Those were my two biggest areas of, of uh, just growing up and, and through you know, middle school, high school and college. Um, so I, I, I did debate going uh, sort of down one or both tracks um, in, in college as I was thinking about a major and ended up going on the uh, English lit side. Um, and, and reading and writing. But math has always been there in the background, uh, for sure, has been a, been a, a interest and, and semi-passion of mine. Um, and then when I started to get uh, work with startup companies, technology was became the sort of overriding driver of, of my interest in, in business. And I went back to business school because I knew I wasn't going to be a developer or code or you know, engineer. Um, I was going to be on the management side. So I went back to business school, 
started out as a uh, with a uh, concentration in marketing, but realized very quickly that there was nobody in marketing had any interest or uh, saw any value in in quantifying anything, and so I was <laughs> I sort of uh, very quickly you know I, on my first case study we had to do in this marketing class and we were break we come back you know after a two days of doing work on this thing and came back with my group to to start preparing for our presentation uh to the class the following day and i had built all these you know ex using excel and all these sort of qu quantifying all this stuff and market share and pricing and everybody in the group was like what the hell are you doing what is all this stuff and i'm like what did you guys do like how else are you going to come up with market share and these are all like numbers what they're like oh my god we didn't do any of that and i was like all right this i'm in the wrong concentration so i literally dumped marketing and went over to finance but i had had no idea i hadn't taken a single business class in college or anything i had no background in finance but i just knew that that's i sort of felt like that was naturally where I wanted to be and but I had to climb a pretty quick learning curve and um was sort of fumbling around in that first first uh, term sort of getting getting my feet underneath me but then it became very natural and uh so when I started out in business after business school it was as, as a CFO and then moved up into COO and operations. And, and then when I came over on the on the uh, job date link up side, it was CFO, COO, and eventually became CEO in 2007. And so that that quantitative background has been very much part of what I've focused on. I think it's it's been one of the reasons why the business has evolved in some of the ways it has. But I also would say too that from a from a from the degree getting a BA in English literature is also really, really has been important for me and and something that I have leaned on very heavily in my career and communication and writing and how you articulate a, a vision and a business model and and I am, you know, as a CEO, my whole job is is around communication. And so that that also has served me well. And I I find that I do a lot of my thinking and a lot of my communicating uh, in a lot of different formats, but but in writing is is definitely one of them. So that is something that I have also benefited from uh, that sort of background there too. So I continue to have kind of a foot on both the uh, the English side and the math side have, have been a sort of dual track for me for for my entire career. Yeah, and and you know, looking at your career, you. When you when you made the move from, I mean, you were at Cherry Tree, uh, and you moved there to what was Link Up, right? We we mentioned it. It had a, a brand called Job Dig, and you said it, right? We were selling print ads. You went there to work for essentially a print publication. Why? <laughs> why? Why? I mean. It, I'm glad you did, right? A lot of people are glad you did, but like, why did you make that move? Were you thinking back then, like longer term vision on what could possibly come out of that business? Or did GL, you know, just, he was a great, he's a, he is a great sales guy. Did he just twist your arm in the right way? 
It's it's both of those and and a couple of other factors. So it was very much uh, a, a combination of things. So so at the time, uh, after graduating from from business school, we uh, I worked for a, a, a professional services technology consulting company. We ended up selling that, uh, and then I went over to as you said to the Cherry Tree, which is a Twin Cities uh, boutique investment bank and uh, venture capital firm working in a venture development uh, area within Cherry Tree. And we were managing a portfolio of about, I think at the time it was probably about uh, half a dozen, maybe eight companies, very early stage sort of founding companies. And, uh, and I had gone to work for Cherry Tree really to get some deal experience under, under my belt. I really wanted to see a, a wide variety as many business models as I could in as short a time frame as I could see them and, and work with them and understand them and I I really wanted to sort of diversify my exposure to different kinds of businesses and, and models and also get some transactions uh, underneath me and sort of understand the finance and m a and, and raising capital and those kinds of things so it was a perfect place for that and I can come back to that because that that the learning curve was steep and the, the DNA that I got injected with at Cherry Tree has been very, very critical to, um, to my career and the success of the company. And, and we continue to be very closely aligned with Cherry Tree and our board chair and, and one of our board members and the earliest investors, Tony Christensen has been hugely uh, important and influential and, and, and John Bergstrom, our board chair have been really important for, from that standpoint. But so along the way, that's where JobDig came in at the time. As you said, GL Hoffman uh, was the first CEO. We recruited him into this startup company that we had basically founded. Um, and um, I was working with him as one of you know, six-ish six companies that I was working on. And over time, JobDig became an overweight area of my focus. And so, uh, and, and I, I knew I wanted to get back into an operating role at some point. I wanted to find the next thing. I really didn't have any long-term interest in investment banking or, or uh, you know, venture, venture capital. I wanted to be an operator. That's really what I, I knew that that was where I wanted to be. I was just looking for the right place. And it just became very logical that, um, to, to jump over onto the job dig side and work for GL. I really, really liked him as an entrepreneur, as a, as a mentor, as kind of a, um, a partner. Uh, and after working with him for a couple of years, um, we, we were driving back from, from a meeting. He said, Hey, I need you over here full time. Now it's, you know, it's time. And I absolutely felt the same way. And, it was a very logical step to, to jump over onto that side of things. And so it was partly, it was partly GL. I think there was a huge factor, but it was also the business model itself was, was very compelling to me. I loved, again, it had that perfect combination going back to sort of the math and English. It had this perfect balance of, of technology and marketing and advertising. It was definitely in this sort of media space, but it was tech driven. It was very, um, there was a lot of economics to it. I liked the job market and, and I like macroeconomics. Um, I, it is broad based. It was very much of a, 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 a 
it was a company, a B2B company and a B2C. So it was very applicable to all kinds of things that, that were of interest to me. And, um, and I saw that it was, you know, people, it's people first, people oriented. Anytime, you know, it, it, that was very consistent with my philosophy about what's important in a business is people. So helping other businesses find really great people was very consistent. Uh, with what we uh, wanted to build in, in job dig. And it's also, it was, there, there was a sort of mission aspect to it. Uh, and we really did believe and, and really injected the DNA that this was as close to a mission driven business as you can get in a for-profit business, helping people find meaning in work and find economic opportunity and find a career and find a meaningful job and and whatever it was that was compelling somebody to go find a job and there's all kinds of reasons people work and we wanted to serve all of those interests with the best offering that we could possibly put in the market and we felt that there was at the time and unfortunately you you said it earlier there still is the case that that is that's still not um, a great, in, you know, there's still a lot of bad actors in and around that space. And there is, there's still a lot of aspects of the job, you know, the recruitment advertising or job search engine side of things that are still broken to this day. But we had this mission to, to really create a better, a better alternative than what was in the market. So it was, it just, it combined a lot of different things for me. And it was a very, was maybe one of the easiest steps I've ever had in my in my career to just say absolutely I cannot wait to get in over here and, and start working with uh, this company on a full-time basis yeah and it was fun from someone who was a part of it it was fun we were building we built a great culture there was a mission to it right because we did feel we were we weren't taking the I remember there was these ads that other people people would run the postal positions. You remember that one, right? And we, we said, no, it was basically charging people money for something they could get for free at the post office. So we were, we were turning down that kind of money. We were uh, competing really well. We had a really good sort of product that we could bring to people, but for the great recession, I mean, things might look a little different. <laughs> so talk about that a little bit, right? Because that was, for, for some of our listeners, they were not in, in business at that point, right? They weren't in a professional working environment. They've, they've since gone through, you know, this pandemic. So you've, you've navigated through two historically crazy times. Yeah. The first being the Great Recession. Now, my, one of my distinct memories, and I may have the, the number wrong, but I remember, I think it was January 2009, and we could we could talk about the BLS and, and what they do with their jobs number, but they, we were pretty in tune with that number. And I want to say January two thousand nine, and someone can look this up, but it was something like minus nine hundred thousand. Yeah. And I remember looking at Brad Squibb, who who's still with you today, uh, great guy. And I I looked at him like, how the how are we gonna wait? What? How are we gonna? How does this work, man? We need <laughs> we need that number to be positive at the very least, a little positive, not negative, almost a million. Like, what are your recollections from that time? Yeah, it 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 is exactly that. I mean, it was it was, and and 
you are right. It's been a crazy roller coaster ride with two massive dips in 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 you know over twenty years, um, and that first one was 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 pretty awful. Um, so the lead up to that had been we ra we raised a, a um, around a capital right in two thousand seven, almost right at the peak of, of the economy. We pushed the accelerator down to roll out expansion faster. We were opening up, you know, a market a month, essentially in all of 07 and 08 <clears throat> and taking and growing at just crazy growth rates. And uh, we were almost coast to coast in about 30 markets. And it was, uh, and had uh, hiring, you know, teams of salespeople at about, you know, five a month or 10 a month or something like that. We had about hundred hundred plus people and and then kind of had heard some rumblings or sort of had some some sense that you know this housing bubble was gonna you know potentially we were in an economic bubble and housing was not going to be was kind of the, the the instigator of this bubble and that there might be some trouble ahead but because we were you know that was mostly happening on the coasts and we weren't quite yet coast to coast we we um, we hadn't really felt that. I will say the only signal that we had that I wish we had in hindsight, we could have paid more attention to is that one of our biggest sectors that we were uh, selling recruitment advertising to were these sort of fly-by-night mortgage companies that were popping up everywhere, hiring like crazy. And they were, we realized that this was, this was, these companies were terrible credit risk because they were popping up and going out of business really quickly. So we put them all on credit cards, prepays, and they did it anyway. And they'd still know we got no pushback. They had to, they had to hire people to be, you know, just selling these mortgages and refinancing. In, you know, we didn't really connect all the dots. So I will not claim that we had any insight into what was about to hit, but you know, when you see what came about and then you watch the, you know, the, the big short and you realize, you know, we, we all could have made a ton of money if we had been smart enough investors. And, uh, but in any event, so when it did hit, it was, it was, I do remember it was in August of, of uh, the jobs report in the September job or August jobs report came out in September of 08. And that's really when it hit. And, it got worse and worse and you're right in the January one was maybe I think the maybe the worst of those ones and it you no know, it was as you know and and we were we were making sales calls on you know help wanted ads in in in, in multimedia and, and every call was help wanted ads to hire people I'm about to lay off a hundred people next Monday I, what in the world am I going to put an ad in the paper for to hire? I'm, you know, and and that was every single call, and it was, it was, it was very insane sort of crisis management, and we were in survival mode for, for a number of years. It was it was pretty awful, and we went from a hundred and twenty people down to about twenty five people, and closing down markets all over. We retracted back to our core footprint in the sort of center us and five states and it was it was just miserable uh but 
we lived through it and 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 uh, rolled link up, up uh, out and and sort of built that business model and we were just in in crisis mode and just trying to stay alive and and do what we could to keep this business going and and try to stay solvent and and scrap you know scrap together every bit of of revenue we could and and luckily it it worked out the jobless recovery was kind of a a pain, uh, but we sort of managed through that, and and then uh, as the data business really started to grow, that was that was really the the what got us back to the kind of business that we were hoping to have, and and sort of managed to build together this data business and recruitment advertising, and um, we've. Uh, ended up shutting down that job dig legacy business in 2015-16 and uh, it's been link up since so it's been it's it's been a long road uh, the, the COVID is the whole another sort of aspect of that although I will say as panic inducing as COVID was in in March of 2020 for us, it really, we actually had a record year in 2020 and, and another record year this year. And the, while a lot of companies, while the economy, the labor market in certain sectors just absolutely disappeared overnight, uh, hospitality, restaurants, travel, you know, leisure, uh, any, anything that was sort of you know, impacted directly was obviously just got crushed by it other parts of the economy were hiring like crazy. So we actually had unbelievable demand for our recruitment advertising business. And at the same time as well, on the data side, people were desperate for any kind of insights and signals into what was going on in the economy. What is, and, and the, the job losses in, in March and April were even worse. I mean, that was literally, I think there are 20 million you know, people unemployed in like two months. I mean, it was just insane. And uh, so for us, the data business, it was, it was, I, I've never seen anything like it in terms of having the demand for our data and the interest in what has now become and is referred to as the alternative data industry. As much as we had seen growth in that COVID just exponentially accelerated interest and, and understanding of these alternative data sources for insights into what was going on. So today now everybody looks to link up jobs data for what's going on in the economy. Are they looking at open table to see if restaurants come back or they're looking at uh, you know, New York subway turnstile activity to see if people are starting to commute again. There's all kinds of these data signals now overnight essentially have become very commonly understood as being really valuable insights and much more real-time data sources of what's going on in the economy. And in a lot of cases, more accurate than other sort of public sources of that information. So it, as, as devastating and awful as the pandemic has been, it's had this sort of weird side effect of, of benefiting our data business because it's really, it's shined a light on how valuable those kinds of data sources can be to getting a true, true sense of uh, what's going on in a real time way. Well, ex expand on that if you will, because, you know, and if you've got a case study or something, tell me a little bit about the persona, I guess, using your data, what insights are they looking for? Where do they work? What questions are they trying to answer? Yeah, so it really, it is, 
as I said earlier, it's just we continue to see and, and people are coming to us. We 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 are continually generating new use cases every every day uh, in and around the business. But we also people are coming to us and saying, hey, we've got this hypothesis. Does your data help me answer this question? So it is it is a continuous stream of things that people are, are using our data for. But it, it ranges um, in in the it depends a little bit on sort of what who the client segment is. So it does differentiate between human capital has got a specific sets of use cases. Corporations have a variety of different use cases and then investors do. On the investor side, the insights could range from, uh, you know, we've got our, part of our client base is large global systematic quant firms. So these are all uh, algorithm-based, uh, computer-based trading. They are voracious users of data, and essentially they build a, an algorithm that uh, it, you feed data into, and it's automatically it's generating uh, investment, making investment decisions on a uh, algorithm basis. So that is that was our early on our very first uh, clients in the in the capital markets area were large global systematic quant firms. That has since expanded down into uh, what is called quantumental. So it's a hybrid between quant firms and fundamental investors, discretionary investors who are uh, fundamental investing is basically human beings making portfolio managers making decisions themselves uh, on which which uh, which companies to to you know, buy and sell in their in their portfolios. And it goes, uh, so we're, we're delivering signals essentially at a company level, at a sector level, uh, and, and all the way up to a, to a macro level. And it might be uh, you know, in terms of specific kinds of things. So if you, one of the great attributes of, of our data set is that it really, it, it provides a huge window into what is going on inside of a company. And, and companies put that on their website every day. We want this role, we have this many positions open, these kinds of titles, they're in these locations that we are looking for these kinds of skill sets. We want this type of thing, uh, resource in our company today. And that provides a ton of information about what's going on inside that company. Where are they, how fast are they growing? Where are they hiring? What, are, what kinds of products are they working on? Are they in the R&D phase? Are they in the sales phase? Are they expanding and rolling out new markets? Are they opening up new product lines? What are the brands? What parts of their businesses are growing? And so there's a lot of positive signal from hiring, but conversely, there's also a lot of value and understanding and insights into companies that are actually declining too. So if job growth, if they start hiring less, or they actually have a very steep drop off in their job openings, it's actually a, an indication that they might be a, about to announce a layoff. So one of the aspects in our data is that if they typically have some sort of normal pattern of hiring and consistency, and all of a sudden the number of jobs on their corporate career portal plummets overnight, that is typically a, an indication that a layoff is coming. So. You can, and we've 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 determined the correlations of that, and and we've actually seen some patterns. So, one of the examples there was uh, the first time that uh, Tesla ever had a layoff announcement, and actually you, we could see that it was uh, the week before 
they had made the decision. And so they obviously didn't want to have all these job openings up on the day that they announced the layoff. So you could see the week before all the job openings came off their website. And sure enough, a week later, they announced a layoff. Tesla happened to be a very short time frame. GE, for example, they, they took their jobs off. You could see it. It was actually a number of months before they actually closed a facility. And you could see by geography, all the jobs for this one plant came off their website. And then about two months later, they announced the, that they were closing that facility. So there's a lot of it. That's just one of, of hundreds of kinds of things that people are using and looking for in our data uh, on, on the investment side, both, again, positive to go long on a company or negative to go short on a company. Um, and then it, you can look at it by sector. You can do competitive benchmarking, comparing and contrasting different kinds of companies in the same industry. Uh, and then Geographically, there's a lot of use cases around geography and real estate and, and different kinds of things like that. And then all the way up to a macro level. So we have investors that are very interested in, in what's going on in non-farm payrolls and what's happening in, with interest rates and GDP growth and from a macro sense. So there's a lot of different variety of signals that, that our data is, can, can, can add value to. Yeah, you can imagine how many use cases spin out of that. Just when you started talking about like what's actually in a job listing, my head started spinning on, you know, the competitive intelligence you could get if you were trying to potentially sell to that company or that was one of your competitors. Um, there's a lot of different things that you could do with that. Yeah, we have on the corporate side that marketing and, and sort of lead gen is is we, we have a lot of clients on the corporate side who want to know who's hiring right now because we want to sell them a product or a service or we're a staffing firm or whatever it might be. There's a lot of use cases for uh, marketing and, and sales. There's uh, risk and compliance, uh, supply demand. There's obviously a whole whole wide range in, in and around HR departments and hiring and supply demand and skills analysis. Uh, people who are very keenly interested in this sort of broad category, the future of work and what the workplace is going to look like and skills and those kinds of things. So the within the corporate market, which we ultimately believe will be our biggest, our biggest area of growth uh, as we look forward is going to be corporate users that's just now beginning to, to become the dominant uh, force in, in data as companies are recognizing the value of, in, in, in the capital markets, it's people refer to it as alternative data in the corporate arena, our clients refer to it as external data and they're starting to recognize the value of that external data. And over time, we see that that's, that will be without question, the biggest, biggest area of growth for us. Yeah, what else? What else are you looking at in the future? Anything you're you got your eye on that? I mean, not to give up any trade secrets of what you guys might be launching or anything like that, but anything you got your eye on? Any trends you're watching? Uh, a lot. I mean, it's it's and it's all obviously data centric. I mean, we're we're we are we're we're growing really quickly. Uh, we are adding people uh, and we are building out our business to, to continue to meet the needs of our clients in those, in those three, three categories. The pace of change in, in the data world is 
it is continuous and it is accelerating. And so we are watching uh, just tons of, of trends that are going on. And I, I, I in, a, in, in sort of a generalized form, the biggest trend we're seeing is that as data becomes more ubiquitous, the number of players coming in to help companies, help clients, help businesses, utilize and leverage data in 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 a easier and easier fashion more convenient uh lower cost way with products and services and platforms and applications and and the the emergence of players and 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 you know this well with your business companies need a lot of help and whether it is a large uh, investment firm or a, or a small business or something in between even the biggest companies and biggest players they they need they need help and they're climbing a steep learning curve and they're building out their teams and there's just a lot of there's a very steep learning curve for as this as as essentially everybody starts to uh, move into this this what has been over the last decade or so, but it's continued to accelerate this trend towards data, that that landscape is changing day by day by day. And it is, uh, so we are paying attention to a lot of that. And one of the things that we've been doing is making sure our vision around LinkUp is to be the global leader in delivering job market data, job market information. And so we wanna work with not just end users of that, but we wanna essentially get our data into the hands of people who can leverage it no matter who they are. And so we're working with all kinds of different partners and players and platforms, people who are integrating our data into their products. Uh, they're building derived work with it. They're doing all kinds of things with it. So we've got a very sort of open ecosystem mindset. And so we do track a lot of the developments because we wanna make sure that anybody who can leverage our data has access to it and we want to make sure they know about us and, and we need to know about them. So we're, it's a, it's a never ending process for sure. Yeah. So your successful business, you're growing any, any key positions you're hiring for right now, anything you want to plug here? Uh, uh, <laughs> we are looking for, uh, we're always looking for great engineers. Uh, we are, uh, we're putting together our growth plan for next year. So um you know, but we've got it's sales, uh, sales and engineers are, are a big part of the data. Uh, data analysis is always is a need of ours. Um, so we are right now we've got about 50 people. Um, and we expect that by next year, we'll probably end up, you know, maybe uh, we'll, we'll have some significant growth on top of that. Well, good. Congratulations, Toby. Uh, having worked for you for many years and, and followed you since uh, really happy to see you guys doing well and uh, really appreciate your time today. Yeah. Appreciate it. This is really fun. It's, it's been uh, great to reconnect and, and uh, kind of walk through the story. So appreciate it. Tom. Well, folks, that's the show. As noted earlier, we are taking a break before launching season two early next year. Thank you to Toby Dayton for sitting down for today's interview. Thanks to Nick Halen for being such a great co-host and willing to riff on whatever topics I feel like. A big thanks to Katie Z who makes this all happen. You rock, Katie. Thank you so much. 
And a word from our sponsors, Tessellation is a modern analytics consultancy. We enable and manage organizations' analytics and self-service teams by educating people, optimizing technology, developing world-class products, and providing sustainable results. And also brought to you by Data Coach, where most analytics training programs lack depth. Data Coach provides wisdom. Our modern curriculum is unparalleled, comprising of video lessons, hands-on exercises, and a capstone project designed around your company's data. Data Coach also offers a truly premium service, one-on-one coaching. The music on the show was brought to you by The Sticky Lifters. Find their music on Spotify or Apple Music. They are playing us out with the title track on their album. This is The Antidote. See you all next time on Data and Driven. You look around to see what will take your pain away. Keep an open mind and listen to what I gotta say. The poison you discover will soon be Drive by, looking so sad on the grass. Out.